You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're the show where we take themes, topics, and ideas about leadership, and we break them down into their simple elements, and we try to help you come away with a more common sense solution for whatever may be challenging you right now as a leader. And my guest today is going to help us poke into the realm of procrastination, maybe a little perfectionism, and uh, decision avoidance, and some of those ideas, which is not uncommon among leaders. I frequently have clients who lament that that's one of the things they're struggling with, suffering through. So we're going to get into that today. My guest is a lady named Sam Bennett. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Doug. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah. And as is a little bit of tradition here, Sam, give us a quick uh, flyover of kind of your journey and background that got you to where you are today and got you turned on to the things you're doing. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Chicago, um, a great town, and uh, I was a theater kid. I was one of those kids who did all the plays in the backyard and did all the plays at school. And I went to theater camp and all that. I went to school for theater and um, I ended up getting a job at the Second City Theater in Chicago, which is very famous improv comedy theater. Um, so I was there um, studying and working with, you know, people who turned into some of the great comedy legends of our time, Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell and, um, Rachel Dretch and Horatio Sands and Adam McKay and I, I, every, there's a picture of me from my first wedding and it's all of us and you know Jim Belushi and Amy Sedaris and Nia Vardalis and uh, everybody we, but we were all just kids in a van going down to do shows in normal Illinois you know <laughs> um, and I had one of those acting careers that you know it went well enough that you didn't want to give up on it but not so well as to be able to support a person so both in Chicago and then later we moved to Los Angeles to go, you know, play with the big boys, see if we could make some money there. Um, it meant that I just always had a billion projects and shows and auditions and jobs and halftime and part-time. And I did everything. I delivered flowers. I was a barista. I was an executive producer of radio shows. I did scarf tying demonstrations at the department store. Like, you name it, I had that job. <laughs> Uh, the only job I never had was a job in corporate America. Um, and even today, I feel like, you know, I drive past those big buildings or those industrial parks and I'm like, I don't know what they do in there. I feel like I can hear them crying, <laughs> but, I don't, but I don't know what they talk about. Um, and along the way, I just got very interested in this question of how do highly creative people, highly intelligent people, highly sensitive people make decisions? How do you know what to do? Particularly as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur, like wow, you've got a business, you've got something you want to promote, you've got an idea, you want to move down the line. How do you, you know, what do you, do you have a podcast? Do you uh, host a regatta? Do you have a lunch? Do you stand on the store with a street con with a sandwich board? Like, how do you do? How do you know what to do? Especially when there's not a the way, right? There's no the way to be a successful leader. There's just your way. So I started teaching a class called Get It Done, 
in a church basement in Van Nuys, California for like 11 people. Um, I think I charged them very little money and felt very embarrassed about it. And then in 2009, I started doing it full time and just really fell in love with the entrepreneurial process, with marketing. I won an award for marketing my first year in business. So it turned out I was sort of a marketing savant, which was hilarious because, as I say, I knew nothing. Um, well, maybe that's not totally true. In some ways, I knew nothing. I had no formal education around business, but I had worked at all these other businesses. So I had a lot of experience in customer service. I had a lot of experience in marketing. I had a lot of experience in just working with different people in different kinds of environments and seeing what the commonalities were and what motivates people. And that course turned into a book, which turned into an online course, which turned into another book, which turned into another online course. And, um, you know, now here I am, whatever it is, 13 or 14 years later, um, loving what I do. I've got over awesome. a million learners on LinkedIn Learning uh, all over the world. And it's just, in, and the actor in me does not miss out the size of that audience. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, Hey, look at that. <laughs> what yeah, do you know about you that? Know. Yeah. The size of the audience. Yeah. Well, you know, the, that's interesting what you said that you, you didn't have the formal training to kind of get in the way. And it, it made me re recall there's a Mark Twain quote, but I'm, I'm going to butcher it. There's it's, it's something to do with, it's either don't let knowledge get in your way or don't let facts get in your way or something like that. It's, it's a very, um, I, I frequently refer to Mark Twain because he's a real common sense kind of guy, you know, and yes. that, uh, I can really relate to that, but it, it is interesting. Just to, let me camp out on that thought for a minute. The, the, the idea that sometimes we get overwhelmed with technical knowledge and you and I were talking about that in the green room before we went live here that that sometimes I've worked with very very smart engineers and scientists and technicians and to hear them try to talk to their team about moving to the next step or even if they have formulated a decision quote quote and for those of you just streaming audio I'm doing air quotes as I say <laughs> that it um, it, it doesn't create the clarity your team needs to move forward. So being able to, to be the leader who can provide clarity, clarity of purpose, clarity of mission, clarity of direction, it, it's so vital. And, and I actually find myself feeling like I can't say that enough when I'm coaching leaders that get, peel away all the technical minutia that might be it, totally true, totally pertinent, totally applicable, but it doesn't help move the needle on giving direction for your team and where they need to go. Exactly. And and for people not to discount their other level areas of expertise. You know, I say a lot that I work with highly creative people and it makes me crazy because pe often people are like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not creative. I'm not a creative person. No, no, no. Of course you are. Everyone is a creative person. Not everyone is artistic, right? We've made a little collapsement, and I think in the language between creative and artistic. Some people are artistic, some people aren't, but everyone is creative. Creativity has to do with innovative problem solving. If you ever solved a problem differently than anybody else has ever solved a problem, congratulations, you are a creative genius. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's one of the things I find fascinating about people, about humans, is you know we're tribal animals, 
and we're meant to live in a group. We know we can't survive alone. Um, and somehow, somehow, we are all given just enough interest, natural ability, curiosity in a certain area so that when you get two or more together of us, we make a society, you know, in any group. I mean, if we were back in cave dwelling days, you know, there would be somebody who's like, you know what? I really enjoy just taking care of the little children. I think that's kind of my thing. And somebody else is like, you know what? I really want to go with, see what's over that hill. I want to go exploring. And somebody else is like, you know what? I'm kind of a shaman healer type. I want to deal with the spiritual and physical well-being of the people. And we just do that naturally. Um, so whatever your thing is, you know, we've all got those things. Like, I don't know why I'm so interested in this. I don't know why. If somebody woke you up at three in the morning to say, hey, 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 we're going to go do this. And you would be like, yeah, yeah, let me get my shoes. You know, like my ex-mother-in-law, if I said, there's a there's a sale of, there's a woman giving away quilting material. She'd be like, I'm coming, I'm coming. You know, <laughs> like, hey, hey, we're going fishing. I'm in there, I'm there. You know, hey, we're going to, you know, I can prove it to you because in every office, there's a birthday person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. There's a birthday person. There's somebody in every single office in the world where they're like, it's Jennifer's birthday today. Please sign the card. We're having cupcakes in the break room. But and I'm always like, I am not a birthday person. I don't care about my birthday. I don't care about your birthday. I don't care about anybody's birthday. But I love it that that person has a gift for celebration. That person has a gift, a natural zone of creative genius around celebration and helping people feel special and noticed. Like, that's a beautiful contribution to the tribe. So, to look back to what you were saying, those moments when we get caught up in the jargon, we get caught up in the technicalities, we get caught up in the, the thing of it, sink back into who you are. And what are your other native abilities? Like, what else do you do well? It can be a wonderful way to start a meeting to just have people say, hey, when I'm not here at work, one of the things I love to do is play games with my kids. One of the things I love to do is go hiking. One of the things I love to do is plan parties. I love to have people over. And there's studies that back this up. This isn't just my opinion. That when you remind people of the their own complexity, of their own diversity of thought, of their own range of thought, they become better problem solvers in the room. And I think I like it's true that. for leaders as well to remember yeah. like, oh, I don't just have to, like, I have other skills. I have other ways to communicate. I have other analogies I can use. I have not, like, how would I solve this problem if this were a dinner party, you know? Well, the, the risk that a leader may have in, in demonstrating all of the technical and all of the overwhelming uh, minutia or, or jargon of the business is that they, they end up showing up as the smartest guy in the room, whether it's in, intended or not. And clearly there are personalities that, that strive to be that, and they're gonna make you feel that, that they're gonna prove to you they're the smartest guy in the room. And what I often do when I hear people lament that, maybe they come to me and they say, you know, my boss is that guy, he's the smartest guy in the room. I'll, I'll ask them, well, how does that usually manifest itself? And they always the number one uh, casualty of that is is the idea that the collaboration in the team that spirit gets sucked out the out of the room, sucked out of the air, and that smartest guy just kills all of that creativity and and that inspiration. So 
I challenge people to confront the smartest guy, and 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 I do it by saying, why don't you just admit? Go go tell them. Look, here's the deal. We're going to admit you're the smartest guy in the room. Let's let's take that off the table. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep proving it. You don't have to keep demonstrating it. And a lot of times when people have taken my challenge and, and agreed to go do that, they come back and they say, you know what? My boss had no idea he was doing that to us. Right. And he genuinely felt bad that he had made people feel that way. And he or she now has taken on the burden of, of simplifying, clarifying, you know, looking for collaborative ideas and and just has tempered uh, that whole yeah yeah that's a great strategy and just to to one of the things i learned in improvisation is you know we teach people how to behave um so if say i'm doing an improv show and you know maybe you've seen one and and, you know we ask for suggestions all the time well if you're going to want the audience to shout out suggestions you have to ask for one in the first couple of minutes of the show you can't talk for 30 minutes and then say i'd like to hear your suggestions because you've already trained them to sit back and cross their arms and listen and be entertained. They're not aware that they're supposed to be participating and it's very hard to get them to participate at that point. Same thing in meetings. If you stand up there and yammer at them for 25 minutes and then say, I'd love to hear your thoughts, they're not going to have any thoughts yeah. because they've just been in well, listening they, mode. What they're thinking is, no, you don't. <laughs> you right, exactly. You don't want to hear, <laughs> hear my thoughts because you haven't asked. So to set that up from the very beginning, get all those voices in the room to begin with. That's why I love to, like I said, go do that go around of, you know, what's something great that happened this weekend? What's something positive that you're working on so that everybody's voice is in the room right from the beginning. And again, if you're going to want contribution to, and really, and I do this all the time to my team. um, I show up and I say, hi, I've had a terrible idea. Let me tell you my terrible idea. And then you tell me why it's terrible. And then we'll figure out whether or not we want to do it or not. And it's wonderful to just free up that energy and have everybody go, yeah, I can see that's kind of terrible. But you know what might be cool is if, right, and now all of a sudden we're building something better together, right? But I'm not attached to my idea. I Like I said, I'm pretty sure it's terrible. (laughs) uh, And don't be disingenuous about it. Kind of related to that, as, as we've been talking here, I've been thinking about the now famous clip out of Ted Lasso when Jason Sudeikis is challenged to a dart tournament at the pub, and he goes through this soliloquy that's just amazing, and, and the whole point of it, he asks the question, are you curious, you know? Mm-hmm. He, said, he said, all my life, the people that judged me, he said, what I determined is they're just not curious anymore. They They think they've already figured it out. And he tells the bad guy that has challenged him, the the bully, he said, see, Rupert, if if you had just been curious, you might have asked, hey, Ted, you ever play any darts? <laughs> right, exactly. And I, and, I, so, and I would have told you my whole life, and here you go, boom, bullseye. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason Sudeikis, another member of the Second City family. He's, yeah. he's, we're, 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 we're comedy cousins, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, here's uh, the other thing, and, and it's absolutely a, a, something I hold very close to my heart is this idea of you don't have to be smart. You just have to be curious. Yeah. You don't have to, as, you know, especially as, and the other thing that um, you mentioned that I think is really important is this pressure to be the smartest person in the room, to feel like you're the smartest person in the room. And I really encourage everyone, but leaders especially, 
to spend some time at least once a week doing something at which you are admittedly terrible. I used to go to CrossFit. I was good at lifting heavy things because I'm pretty strong, but the rest of it, no way. I was terrible. I do burpees like I'm a drunken panda. Like it's terrible. (laughs) Everybody in the room is 20 years younger than me. You know, they're like, go for a run. I'm like, go for a run. (laughs) You gotta be kidding me. I will go for a swift walk, maybe. Um, But it was great. And it was, and not only did I really enjoy the workout and I love getting all hot and sweaty, but I also loved it that I was bad at it. I loved it that I was always learning, that I was always on the sharp edge of what I could do. I loved watching myself get at least incrementally better over time. Um, And it just kept me remembering that this is how my clients feel. This is how my team feels. This is how people feel when they're about to take on something that they don't know if they can do or not. And remind, putting myself in that beginner's mind, humbling myself as the person next to me did 20, you know, wall balls and I did five, you know, uh, was really valuable. So whatever it is for you that you enjoy but aren't very good at, whether it's singing in choir or working out or, you know, what, whatever, whatever it is that appeals to you, really do do it. Do yourself a favor to get yourself out of that leadership groove and into a learning curiosity beginner's mind groove it really does it 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 does create a a new gear in your thinking and your awareness and sensitivity to things so i so i love that well for the sake of time here sam let's shift gears we teased out at the top of the show this idea of talking about procrastination and perfectionism applicable to decision making and effort um, give me some of your thoughts on where that comes from and how do we how do we overcome it? Yeah, so there's a lot of room here. Let's see. Um, probably the biggest word you've said is procrastination. It's a very big word and it covers a lot of ground. And I think it is helpful to get a little more precise about what we mean when we say procrastination, because there is a whole body of of work. There's a whole part of the process of getting anything done um, that I think sometimes people characterize as procrastination, but it isn't. People say to me all that once they find out what I do, people say to me all the time, oh my gosh, I so need you. I never do anything to the last minute. I always leave things to the last minute. I'm such a procrastinator. I never do anything to the last minute. And I always want to say, no one does anything to the last minute. That's how we know it's time for something to be done because it's the last minute. Now, what the last minute is for you and what the last minute is for me is going to be a little bit different. My sister, who is an incredibly organized person, gets her Christmas shopping done in August. For her, August feels like the last minute, right? Um, For somebody else, Christmas Eve at 12.45 p.m. feels like it's the last minute. And this is where we get into the beauty and magic of deadlines, Right, because a deadline is how your brain knows to move something from off the bubbling, you know, the back the back burner up to the front burner. And so when people say, Oh, I've got this presentation due on Monday and I haven't even started it, like, well, yeah, you have. You've been thinking about it, you've been bubbling. By the time you sit down to make your slides or whatever, you probably have a pretty good idea about what you're gonna say. You just need to, you know, push it out. And sometimes, and I certainly do this. I think we wait until what feels like the last minute so that we've got the adrenaline and even the pressure of anxiety to move us past our perfectionism, 
to move us past our judgment about ourselves. It's like, well, I don't have time to make it perfect, so I'm just going to do it. I have a, a teaching story that that I love to tell around perfectionism that uh, stems from when I was in my 20s. And I was, I've lived with depression and anxiety my whole life. Um, but of course, when I was a kid, there was no such thing as childhood depression. You know, I was just weird, <laughs> sensitive, too sensitive. Yeah. Um, and there was a point in my 20s when it got really bad. The anxiety especially, like I felt like I was being judged for everything every parallel parking job, every load of laundry, every audition, every everything. Super fun for me, and I'm sure everyone around me. <laughs> and finally, I just had this thought, I was, and I told it, I said to my sister, we're very close, I said, okay, I'm realizing that I'm putting all this pressure on myself to like get an A plus in everything. And I'm thinking maybe I should just try to get a C. C is the grade you get for showing up and doing the work. Show up, do the work, show up, do the work, show up, do the not doing the work better than anybody else, not sitting in the front row with your hand up, not doing extra, just show up, do the work. And my sister said, great, that sounds, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> I don't know, whatever she said. Um, a couple of days, oh, and then we went on to talk about what we were actually on the phone for, which was that my father had moved into a new apartment and we wanted to send him a housewarming present. And I'm the eldest, so I said, I'll take care of it because that's what we do. <laughs> and uh, I, a couple of days later, we're on the phone again. And she says, did you send anything to dad? And I said, you know what? I haven't. I want to, but I was thinking about maybe something for the kitchen, but he has a lot of kitchen stuff, maybe towels, maybe monogrammed, but should they be colors? Should they be white? I'm not sure. Want something nice, not too expensive. And my sister says, Sam, get a C, send a plant. <laughs> Get a C. Send a plant. The clouds parted. The angels sang. The trumpets rang. 1-800-Flowers.com. You know, $42 later, I've sent the man a Diffenbachia. And the next day, the phone rings with my dad calling to say how, you know, what lovely daughters he has and how. Here's the point. My desire to find the perfect thing for my father was preventing me from finding anything for Absolutely. my father. Yep, yep. And my willingness to take the cheap, obvious option allowed me to do what we really wanted to do, was, which was just tell him we loved him and we hoped he was happy in his new digs. Like, that was, that was all we were trying to do. So, so often we take something simple and try to turn it into some kind of Ukrainian Easter egg. You know, when it's like, no, no, really, just get a C get a C. And I can feel the apple polishers in the room starting to freak out. <laughs> I just want to say, right, let me, right. let me remind you of two things. First of all, you may have noticed that your version of a C is kind of everybody else's version of an A, right? You had that experience where you put something out and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be bad. And then everybody's amazed. So your version of a C probably everybody else's version of an A. And if it's not for some reason, then you will make it better because that's how you roll. You'll, you know, director's cut version 2.0, like great, revise it and do it again. No big deal. But until well, you do something, you can't do anything. 
There's something closely related to that, and and I find this more so perhaps in the corporate world than in entrepreneurial world, but that is somebody's given a task, maybe their boss or their boss's boss gives them an assignment, and they 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 turn on this whole flood of everything you just described. They're they've got the anxiety about making it perfect, get the A plus, not just the C. So they they even end up doing all this work and then get close to the deadline and they start socializing it and circulating it to the authorities. And the big guy who gave the assignment says, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't clear. This is not what I'm talking about. This is, we need to do something else. And all that work and all that anxiety kind of goes for naught. So I've encouraged my corporate guys to hear the task and and basically, and I'll also use a school analogy, basically go back and just create the outline. Yeah. What's your interpretation of the outline for the final outcome? And take that back and say, here's what I'm thinking. Is this going in the right direction? And you may be surprised to say, big guy says, oh, I, I see how you got there. I'm sorry. I wasn't clear. That's not what I was talking about. I need... You went A, B, and C. I need X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Now you've saved all of that anxiety, all of that churn that you might spin up for yourself. And now you're really impressing the big guy because he's now had a chance to say, oh, now here's exactly what we need. Now you can go do your work and you can avoid a lot of the waste and certainly the anxiety only to find out later, no, that's really not what I was talking about. So, exactly, and 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 even if you don't have a boss who's like that, again, going back to your own curiosity, you know, to be able to say, "Hey, boss, I, I'm I think what I'm hearing you say is you want ABC. Is that is that correct?" And then she gets a chance right away to say, "Oh no, 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 I meant X, Y, Z." Like, right. go away. And if if they're not telling you, go ahead and ask. Like, right. They're not going to fire you for asking questions. And if they do, then it's not a good fit for you anyway. Right. Well, and to your idea about the C, and, and, I, and I like framing it that way better, you know, the popular phrase that a lot of people know is that perfection is the enemy of good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I tell the story frequently. I was working with one of the major oil companies a number of years ago, and they were trying to go through a culture change. They're, they're new and highly motivated, inspirational CEO came up with the idea that he said, you know, in the legacy of this company, when something happens in the market and we want to seize a new opportunity, we go through this rigor of assessing the situation and we can get to the first 80% of our factoids quickly, like tomorrow. We'll, we'll know 80% of the applicable factors that are there. But we agonize over the remaining 20%, and we may spend months, if not, you know, well, weeks, if not months, trying to solve for the 100% certainty, the A+. Plus. And then when they finally get there, number one, they determine the outcome that now has been calculated is not really different than what they knew at 80%. And more importantly, the opportunity has gone. <laughs> They don't have the opportunity anymore. <laughs> I'll tell you what, money loves decisions, money loves speed. And and your intuition knows a lot more than you often admit that it knows, you know. Right. That, um, so 
Yeah. I, and, and it is one of the joys of, of having a smaller business or being a solopreneur is that we can pivot very quickly. I mean, if something, I just did a launch the other day that I, I started with a little bit of an unusual tactic. And I was like, I don't know, this might, this is a little counterintuitive. I'm not sure if this is going to work or not. And I was completely prepared to just go a whole other direction the next day. It turned out it actually did work, which was gratifying. Um, but yeah, you do. And, and, and admitting what you don't know, you know, the, this like, well, we don't know if it's going to work. We don't know until it hits the air. Um, and, and we start to see people's reaction. And here's a little helpful tip. Actually, if you're not, if you've got an idea you're not too sure about, go around talking around to some people that you know and like and respect. Don't talk to people you don't vibe with because you don't vibe with them. So why would you talk to them um, in this context? Anyway, uh, say your thing and watch their eyebrows. Hmm. If their eyebrows go up, it means they get it and they're interested. And even if what they're saying is, oh, I don't think that's a very good idea. If their eyebrows are up, it means that it still means they're engaged. Like they're still kind of into it for some reason. If their eyebrows make that like sort of pointy downward, um, you know, angry emoji face of like, huh, I'm not really sure. It means they don't understand what you're saying and you got to go back and revise and get more clear. Um, so that's a really quick 10 second. You know, I love it. No, that's, uh, that's very good. And and that touches on the the principle of being sure you've got a circle of those kind of people that you can talk to and in that circle that they're going to be honest and straight up. They're not going to sugarcoat it. They're not going to gloss it over for you because they don't want to hurt your feelings. They'll just say, eh, love you, man, but that idea sucks. <laughs> right. And it's a great idea to have that, to actually expressly say that, you know, when, in the times when um, when you need to have a very honest conversation or you need some really honest feedback, uh, you know, difficult conversations are difficult and sometimes don't happen because everybody's afraid of how difficult they are. Uh, another little helpful tip I've found, this works especially well in my personal relationships, but it works really well at work too, is to come up and say, hey, Doug, um, is now an okay time for us to have a conversation I really wish we didn't have to have? Or, hey, Doug, is now an okay time for us to discuss something that's been previously undiscussable? Mm -hmm. Right? And what I find when I do that is that, first of all, it gives people a, a moment to say, uh, yeah, let's talk. Absolutely. Let's talk right now. Or actually, you know what? Can we talk at two? Because I'm still in this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Two o'clock is fine. Um it also sort of frames it up in such a way that says like, look, I'm not super thrilled about this either. Like if I could, you know, if, if I felt like we could go without having this conversation, I would totally do that. Um, so it's not like a me against you thing. It's not me coming in going, you've done blah, 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 or you haven't done blah, blah, blah. It's me saying, this is uncomfortable for me too. So knowing that and being, you know, as Brené Brown would say, vulnerable in that moment, um, now it means that you and I are this, on the same team. It's you and me against the fact that you haven't done this thing. It's you and me against the fact that my mother is coming to visit. <laughs> it's you and me against this other thing. And this, as opposed to you against me, right? right? Right. So understanding what is the outcome we all want. You know, we all want this project to succeed. We all want you to do really well in this office. We all want to crash through that sales metric you know so as we are aligned together how do we move forward 
I frequently have some of my coaching clients who, who do struggle with that idea of having the difficult discussion. And it's inevitable. There, there, there are going to be events and, and behaviors that fall short of expectation. And part of what I really encourage leaders to think about is, number one, the question, did you ever set the level in the first place? Mm. Did you have the tough talk right up front and invite an exchange to talk about expectations and obligations? It, it kind of comes from, you know, the fundamental principle of contract law. You got two parties coming together. Everybody's got expectations. But the real question is, what's your obligation? What are you going to bring to the deal to make it be successful? And, and how do we know when it's not a good fit? And how do we know when it's not a good fit? That's right. I remember I was partnering with a, a friend of mine on a project and we were interviewing social media managers. We needed somebody to handle the social media aspect of it. And we found somebody that we thought was really good. And we were having a little three-way conversation and we were going through the process and what we were looking for. And it all seemed really great. And we got to sort of the end of the conversation and the person we were interviewing said, you know, is there anything else I should know? And I said, actually, Yes. Amy, my friend that I was partnering with, I said, Amy and I are both kind of over communicators. Like we're going to, you know, I would rather have you call me, text me and leave me a, send me an email saying that you're not available to talk than not hear from you. And the social media woman said, oh, then I'm not your person. She's like, that's going to drive me crazy. I, I want to hear from you. I want to go away. I want to do my work. And then I want to come back and show you that it's done. Like, I don't want to be, you know, this constant you know she didn't say chit chat but you know we all knew what you meant and i was like thank goodness yeah, yeah we said that because you know on paper she was perfect i'm sure she's very good at her job but the vibe was off right you know, the right. value system was off amy and i have a value <clears throat> around communication and maybe even over explaining sometimes and we would have driven her that poor woman up a tree <laughs> yeah we well, would have been the worst clients <laughs> And similar to that in the in the work environment, especially again when the company's big enough and there's kind of a few layers of management, wherever you're positioned in that, up or down, if you're the top of the heap or not, having that fundamental discussion about what works for communication. And I have told people, especially when they're in the upper middle management and they're frustrated by the VP they talk to or they work for or the, the department head they work for, I'll tell them, well, have you ever asked him how he likes to communicate? Does he want an email? Does he want a text? Does he want a phone call? Good old fashioned. I knew one guy, he was national sales director of a publicly traded company. And he said he wanted his guys just to pick up the damn phone and call him and let him know what's going on. And it's an old technology, but it still works great. <laughs> he, he put that word out to the group and they said, but how do we know that we're not bothering you? And he said, let me tell you if you're bothering me or not. Exactly. Don't, exactly. don't, don't make the decision for me. If I see it's you calling me and I happen to know what we've got going on, I, by all means, I'll figure out how to get back right away. See, this goes to the, this is a business book that I keep threatening to write. And I don't know if I ever will, but cause it'd be a very short book, but the, it's called treat them like you like them. 
Yeah. <laughs> treat your team like you like them, treat your boss like you like them, treat your customers like you like them, treat your family like you like them, treat money like you like money, treat yourself right. like you like yourself. Like right. it's not that complicated. I have a friend who's a CEO of a very successful business. And one of the things she does is when somebody onboards, she has them take the love languages the work test right so gifts acts of service praise you guys all know this and if you haven't read love languages absolutely do it it's very short it's kind of christian but mostly not in an annoying way (laughs) and um she and so every year on that employee's anniversary they get some recognition in the way that is meaningful to them right so if they get like gifts they get a gift certificate if they like quality time they get coffee with the boss if they like recognition and words of praise, they get a little summary of everything they've done great or something like that. It's like, yes, let's reward people in the way that is meaningful to them to be rewarded, right? Treat them like you like them. Yeah. Uh, My people that have been regular followers of the show, they know I've talked about that love languages idea before, and I'm a big fan of the book. I, you know, I read it when it first came out. My wife and I talk about it frequently. And it, it's magical to embrace that idea that not everybody looks at the world the way you do. And if you're going, if you care and you really want to be effective as a leader, go figure that out yeah. for all of your people, go figure out what it is that makes them tick and how they like to interface with the world around them. It's not about, you know, my way or the highway kind of leadership. That's, I hopefully I'm I'm hoping this whole COVID experience has killed that style of leadership once and for all. I I hope and pray that that's happening. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Yeah, I mean, even I also love that book, and and the I remember the the big thing I took from it the first time I read it was um, for my father, for example, his love language was gifts. He loved to give presents, and that's like last on my list. I like words of praise and I like quality time. So even when I was a kid growing up, he's like, here, I got you this, you know, thing. And I'm thinking, why are you trying to buy me off? And what I really want is your time. When I really want is for you to tell me that I'm pretty. What I really want is for you to notice me. Um, And once I figured out like, oh, no, he's not trying to deprive me of what I want. He doesn't know what I want. This is the only way he has to communicate that he loves me. Um, and it really, it, it, it softened me up quite a lot. It made me really appreciate more what it was he really was trying to do. And I think it's easy to take other people's behavior personally and feel like, well, how come Yeah, they like me so much? How come they don't X, Y, Z? It's like, well, because they don't share your love language. That's why. Or get so ingrained in what your expectation is. And when everybody around you is failing on that, you're just now it's war, you know, you. Well, and the minute you start expecting. You yeah, don't, you don't love me. You don't care for me, and all that. And that's just that's that's a hopeless situation when you yeah. get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The minute you start expecting other people to live up to your standards or abide by your set of values, you are in for some serious disappointment. <laughs> right, right. Well, Sam, on that note, uh, I think it's about time we wrap this up. This has been phenomenal. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing. If folks want to get a hold of you directly, what's the best way for them to do so? They should come over to therealsambennett.com, therealsambennett.com, 
And just join my email list. I really communicate almost exclusively by email. That's my love language. Um, I'm also on all the socials as the real Sam Bennett, but the really good stuff comes through the email. And some of you might be really interested to see how I do my email marketing. Like I said, I have won awards for it, and I think I handle it a little bit differently than a lot of other businesses and entrepreneurs. So it might be sort of fun for you. Most people stay on my list forever. So um, it's kind of a fun experience to see what's what's going on inside my awesome. email list. Awesome. And then please write me back and tell me how it's going and we'll be pen pals and best friends. It'll be great. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for sitting in. It's been a pleasure. It's been, been a whole lot of fun and, and uh, really enjoy it. Thank you so much, Doug. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Well, folks, uh, this is the part of the show where I remind everybody we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, uh, pop in the video, take a look, and leave us a comment. Also, I encourage you to let me know if you've got a topic or a theme that we haven't yet covered, or you've got a suggestion for a guest. Maybe you want to be a guest. Just uh, drop me a line on all of my social. You can hit me up at my website, dougthorpe.com. Real simple. And there's a lot of uh, buttons and clicks and links there to, to come in uh, and I encourage you to do that. So with that, we're going to sign off, say goodbye. Go out there and make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.